Our second lesson on Antichrist. Everybody has heard of the Antichrist, and uh, maybe you thought you were one, or you're convinced you married to her or him. I had a friend one time uh, in Knoxville. He was half Palestinian, and he told me that he, he was a religious majors, stu- or religious studies major at UT. And uh, he, he told me at one point he'd become so convinced through the major of religious studies that he might be the Antichrist because he was half Palestinian, that it nearly tormented him and drove him insane. And I said, man, you can't be the Antichrist. You're born again. He said, I realize that now, but it about drove me crazy. But one of the things we have seen in covering this is that even though none of us are going to be the Antichrist, we often act Antichrist. And what that means is we're against everything Jesus Christ is for. Uh, and every one of us has, has probably, to some degree, yielded to the spirit of Antichrist. And, and what that makes us look like is Antichrist. When your behavior becomes Antichrist or unbiblical, you're yielding to that spirit of the world, the spirit of lawlessness. And we've covered that in depth, too, in that the spirit of lawlessness says, who are you to tell me what to do? And that's the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That spirit is running rampant in the earth today, and it's in preparation for the Antichrist's coming. The world does not like to submit to anybody or anyone, and that's why we as church members, we need to love submission. Not to be a part of a cult, not to be ruled by some evil pastor dictator, but because it's the opposite of Antichrist. Jesus Christ is the author of submission, but Satan is the author of rebellion. So we have to be mindful that we love to submit to our boss, we love to submit to our grandparents, our pastor, our principal, our teacher, uh, the police officer. Anytime you start saying in your heart, well, I'm just going to do what I want to, be careful. That is the only commandment in the Satanic Bible. Do what you want to. That's the spirit of lawlessness. And so we see a lot of Christians yielding to that right now. And we've taught heavily on that, on the great falling away and how there's a division that's already here. Many Christians will peel away from Jesus in these days, and they already are. And they're being talked into it by the spirit of the world, their own mind, their friends, carnality. And we might uh, teach on a little bit of that in the next uh, service. But what we want to look at here is the Antichrist. That's just all brief review. And we looked at last week the Antichrist in some aspects, his, his characteristics, his traits, And we saw some things from the Bible this week. We want to look at his power, his assignment, and opposition. I think uh, we've been kind of led to believe that nobody will oppose the Antichrist, but you need to know from the day he comes to power, he will have opposition, and he will not get what he wants. So let's look here. Let's jump into our lesson. As we have seen the Antichrist, also called the beast in Revelation, he's a man used of Satan to try and take over the world. He will be fully possessed by the spirit of Antichrist, the same spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Let me throw this out there again. We cover that. Thessalonians says there is a spirit of lawlessness at work in the earth. And it is the spirit of Antichrist. And and Paul said that it is the same spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. This spirit tries to minister to Christians and is often very successful. When you start seeing Christians skip church, they quit reading their Bible, They quit praying. They start going to the clubs. They start watching pornography. They're yielding to this kind of stuff. We want to make sure we are so far against Antichrist. We're so far against the spirit of lawlessness. We're looking for something to submit to. For me personally, though, I'm in charge of my home. I'm in charge of my money. I'm in charge of this church. I love to submit. You just let the 16 year old at Walmart tell me what to do. I don't care. I, have, I don't want to be rebellious. I don't want to be stubborn. I don't want to be stiff-necked. A lot of Christians, they're always picking fights. Well, I don't agree. Well, who asked you? 
You don't even agree with yourself. Have you ever looked at your whole life? Your whole life is disagreeable. I, I said of one individual, I said, they said that they don't agree. And I said, their life doesn't qualify them to disagree. It's falling apart. It's like a beat up old ship looking at a cruise line and saying, I don't agree with you. And the cruise line says, I don't care. Look at you. You're a beat up old tugboat. We want to make sure we resist the spirit of Antichrist. We want to make sure we resist that spirit of lawlessness where we don't submit to anybody's law but our own. All we have to do is judge our lives. Are we really ripping it up for Jesus? If not, you don't qualify to disagree with anything. It's evident your whole life is disagreeable and you're falling apart from the inside. We want to make sure we don't become anti-Christ, though we call ourselves Christians. We want to make sure we stay submitted to the law of God, the law of the land, the law of the classroom, the law of the job, the law of peace. And a lot of Christians don't. They think they've believed the ultimate satanic life. There is freedom in rebellion. There is freedom in being a Lone Ranger. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Even he couldn't do it by himself. So let's jump back in here. Keep in mind that the Antichrist is a mere man. His power is not his own, but comes from Satan himself. So in covering the Antichrist, he's just a man. But he will be fully possessed of Satan. Just like the Bible says of Judas, that Lucifer himself possessed Judas. It wasn't a little demon imp. It wasn't a little lower archie imp. It was Lucifer himself. It says, and Satan, having entered into Judas to betray, uh, betray the Lord, Satan himself possessed Judas. That's the case with Antichrist. He will be possessed of Lucifer himself, the spirit of Antichrist. So let's look at his power, and we'll prove this from the Word. The Antichrist gets his power from Satan. Now, I, I purposely always lowercase Satan, uh, just to show him no reverence or respect. And don't forget, Isaiah says that when he's finally cast down, the whole world will say, this is he that did weaken the nations. This is he that talked me out of my Christianity. This is he that was able to ruin my family. This is he that got me to rebel against God. This little thing? This? I I've never seen Lucifer or Satan. I I'm sure a handful of ministers have, and maybe even some drug addicts and rebels. I'm sure he's manifested to a few folks. I would imagine he's about our size. Angels are about our size. And I can't imagine he's more than eight or nine feet tall. He's just one entity. And we will look at him in that day and say, this is he that did weaken the nations, this little thing. Amen. And we, we're supposed to have the Holy Ghost on the inside of us that created everything. And sometimes we can't even stand against that little thing. So let's yield to the Holy Spirit more. He will be the most demonized man to have ever lived. I think we can say that quite confidently. Look at Daniel 8, 24. It says of the Antichrist to come and his power shall be mighty but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Well, that's talking about the little horn that is to come. That is in reference to the Antichrist. But his power should not be his own. And when he does get this power, it will help him to destroy wonderfully. That means that isn't say, wow, that's just wonderful. It's a wonder. It's full of wonder. It isn't a good wonder, but it's an amazing, wow, look at what he's able to do. Not in a, I want to be able to do that myself, but just in wonderment and amazement and terror, probably. I want you to see, though, that he shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. He's already doing that right now. 
This is just an amped up version of it. He's already, Lucifer is already destroying mighty people and holy people right now. When you and I yield to this, he destroys us. When you and I yield to lawlessness, he destroys us. When you and I isolate ourselves, he destroys us. When you and I pull away from the fellowship of the saints, he destroys us. When you and I chase our own thing, he successfully destroys us. And at that point, you're no longer holy. His mighty power will not be his own. He will be empowered by Satan and he will prosper for a season. Now, I know it says he will prosper because he does have some success. He does gain some traction, but he doesn't ever finish his race. Don't forget, and we've, had, we've been proving this, his, his mission is to take over the world. His mission is to establish a world kingdom, but he does not succeed. But that is his mission. And he does gain some traction towards it, even as uh, Pharaoh gained traction towards world dominance, even as Hitler gained traction towards world dominance, even as Napoleon gained traction toward world dominance, but they never finished it. In fact, when you study those perverts, Napoleon, Hitler, Mussolini, the Pharaohs, they usually had pretty short spans. They just wreaked hell and havoc for an intense season, and it only went so far, and then it petered out. The devil has multiple times tried to take over the world, and he has never succeeded. Uh, his power will be supernatural in nature. It's not just some kind of political power. It's not just some kind of wisdom power. It is a supernatural sign and wonder-working power. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Talking about the Antichrist. His coming is after the working of Satan. That's how we know where he gets his power. With all miracle power and signs and wonders. The word power there is dunamis. For those of you that know the Greek, dunamis is the miracle working power. That's the same word to describe the power of the Holy Ghost. It means the power to accomplish things. The power to do the miraculous it's also dunamis is where we get the, the English word dynamite, explosive power. And we see here that Satan himself has du, uh, dynamite dunamis power. It will be after the working of Satan with all miracle power and signs. And then, then Paul's very clear, these are lying wonders. Because they're not truth. There's not truth in them. The Antichrist will have Satan himself working in and through him to not only be a political success, but also to produce lying signs and wonders. Uh, right now there's a statue, I think, in Central or South America of Mary crying. Blood. She's crying blood. That's a lying sign and wonder. Uh, <coughs> I don't want to try to get too sidetracked. Back in the 90s, there was a famous woman out of Tulsa who she was supposed to be this spirit-filled prophetess and she could make oil come out of her hands and feathers appear and all this junk. And uh, somebody took it to Brother Sumrall, and Brother Sumrall said, don't tell me those idiots in Tulsa fell for a feather. And he said, that woman's just got devils. He said, I know that one by name. That's the same demon that makes all those statues cry in South America. She had lying signs and wonders working through it. It almost destroyed the Word of Faith movement out in Tulsa because a lot of folks thought it was the move of God and all the wise men of God, like Brother Hagin said, the Holy Ghost ain't no goose. That was his quote exactly. Because <laughs> somebody was smart enough to grab one of the feathers and have it tested and it was down. It was a goose feather. And Brother Hagin was quoted as saying, the Holy Ghost ain't no goose. <laughs> That's a lying sign and wonder. They're here right now. But when this thing fully possesses this political leader, he will have it in spades. 
He'll have it to the nth degree and he'll work all sorts of lying signs and wonders. And that's why we as charismatics that believe, believe in the supernatural, we don't chase this stuff. We're, we're based on the word. We are word people. God is a word God. He magnifies his word even above his own name. So we like signs and wonders. We like healings. We like the miraculous. We don't chase it. The wor- Jesus said the world chases it. A wicked and a perverse generation chases after signs and wonders. Uh, according to the New Testament, they're to chase us. We're not to chase them. They follow us. These signs shall follow them that believe. We're believers, so the miraculous should follow us. We don't follow it. A lot of Christians will be duped because they're not mature enough to follow the word. They want to follow the miraculous. Amen. Our next little section says, He will be Satan's representative on the earth, just as Jesus Christ was God's representative on the earth. Now watch the parallel here, because I like this. Revelation 13, 2, 4a And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard. Beast is another term for antichrist. And his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast. So notice a few things there. Number one, the dragon, which we know is Satan. The Bible's very clear on that gave the Antichrist, this man, his power. So Satan gives this man his power. That's the same Greek word dunamis. And Satan gives this man his seat of authority. And Satan gives this man great authority. And so what you see in those three things is the very shadow or the very likeness of what Jesus Christ was given when he came to the earth. He was given the Lord God's power. He was given a seat of authority and he was given a great authority and or, or political power. That is the ultimate kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Power and seat and, and political power. So look at this. Satan will give the Antichrist three tools. Pure satanic power. This is what's going to make this man so successful. This is the Greek word dunamis or miracle power. He will work signs and wonders just as Pharaoh's sorcerers did before Moses. Now, if you remember the story of Moses... He goes in there and everything Moses could do up to a point, Pharaoh's magicians could do. And it was genuine demonstration. He threw down his pole, became a snake. Pharaoh's guys threw down their rods. They became snakes. And then Moses' snake ate their snakes and turned back into his pole or his rod. And then Pharaoh turned, excuse me, Moses turned the river into blood and the magicians did the same thing. But there came a point when Moses started trumping the magicians. And at that point, that made Pharaoh's heart even harder. The dumb thing about Pharaoh was when his magicians could do the same thing, it hardened his heart. When Pharaoh's magicians couldn't do the same thing, it hardened his heart. He's kind of like a lot of Christians, Pharaoh was. No matter what you do for them, they're going to harden their heart. No matter what you help them with, they're going to harden their heart. You do for them, they harden their heart. You do against them, they harden their heart. You don't help them, they harden their heart. You help them, they harden their heart. The problem is not the help, it's the heart. That's why we want to avoid the spirit of lawlessness and stay soft before Jesus and stay humble before our God and Savior. You had to humble yourself to get saved. We might could say, stay humble and you can stay saved. You lose your humility, you start acting like you're not saved. Amen. So uh, he will work signs and wonders just as Pharaoh's sorcerers did in the sight of Moses. The second thing Lucifer gives the Antichrist is the use of his seat. And I want you to notice Satan does have a seat in the earth. 
The Revelation says so, that he, he told the church there, oh, it's escaping me. One of the churches, the seven churches of the apocalypse, he says, I know you and that your church is where Satan has his seat. We know in that time, apparently Lucifer's seat of authority was in that man's city. How would you like to pastor in that city? We don't just deal with religious spirits here, Lord. We don't just deal with homosexual spirits here. We, we, we deal with Lucifer's spirit here. That's got to be a tough place to pastor. And no wonder Jesus wrote him a personal letter to encourage him. The Antichrist will get the use of Satan's seat. This is the Greek word thronos. This is where we get the word throne. And it means a kingly throne seat. So Lucifer will let the Antichrist borrow his kingly throne seat. In fact, most Bible prophecy experts believe that at this time, that seat will be moved to Jerusalem. At one point, uh, church historians and theologians believe it was Babylon. Then it got moved to Asia Minor because that was the center of the move of God in Paul's day. And at this point, many believe it will be moved to Jerusalem. Just like nations today move their capital. You know, our, city, our nation has had two capitals. Uh, Japan has had more than one capital. Kazakhstan, I had the privilege of working on an embassy, a U.S. embassy in Kazakhstan because they moved their capital just seven years ago or so. They just decided to move the capital city of Kazakhstan and they built a city to support it. And so they threw this, this great city in Astana, Kazakhstan up really overnight and we worked on the U.S. embassy there. So just like natural kings move their seat of authority around, apparently Lucifer does the same thing. The Antichrist will get to sit on that seat of authority. And I have no idea what that will do for him politically or powerfully, but it's apparently a pretty powerful thing. Satan is the god of this world. He rules from his seat of authority. He will allow the beast slash Antichrist to sit on his throne and be worshipped. Now that's really got to bug Lucifer that somebody else is getting the worship and not him. But that's what happens. The third thing he gives them is great authority. And this, this word authority means the power of government or rule. We know that to be the case because Antichrist will be endeavoring to take over the whole world and rule the whole world. Satan will equip this man, the Antichrist, with everything necessary to be worshipped, to work signs and wonders, and to rule and govern the earth. Now, when you think about those three things, everything necessary to be worshipped, to work signs and wonders, and to rule and govern this earth, that sounds like what makes Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Jesus Christ has all power. He has everything. He's worthy to be worshipped. And of the increase of his kingdom and government, there shall be no end. Lucifer gives this one man all of that, but it's a fake. It's a fraud. It's made in Korea, so to speak, you know. <laughs> That's one of the things that makes him the Antichrist. He's the opposite of Christ. He's a fraud. He's, he's, a, he's a cheap reproduction. He's a knockoff. He's a vinyl Louis Vuitton rather than a leather Louis Vuitton. And everybody that's a sucker will, will worship him as though he is the Christ. Just like suckers, know what a, they don't know what a cheap Rolex looks like when they go visit China. And so they buy one. But anybody who knows the real deal says that's a cheap Rolex. Everybody who's clueless will follow this, even many Christians. Christians right now are following false Christs. Not all, but a lot of Christians. They go down to Florida for some weird revival. They'll go over here for some weird revival. They'll pack out this Colosseum for some weird preacher. It's going to happen when the Antichrist is here. Because they don't walk with Jesus right now. Everything Jesus Christ is and has, this man will pretend to be. 
This is another reason this man is called the Antichrist. We can already see in this Antichrist, Satan trying to mimic the true and living God by raising up a man and anointing him with demon power to be a fake Christ. He's already doing this on small scale right now with fake preachers, false preachers, false revivals. We have to walk closer to Jesus than ever before. Look at his assignment. We want to talk about his assignment. We've just covered his power. We know that it's not his. It comes from Lucifer himself. But let's look at his assignment. Power comes to do something with. Just like for us as Christians, we receive the anointing and the Holy Spirit to do something with it. I really don't understand Christians in this day and age not being a blessing to the local church or evangelizing. Christians that don't go to the local church, that don't evangelize, that don't do the work of the ministry, you've received the power of God in vain. And the Antichrist is going to receive power, and you know that if it's in vain, Satan's going to destroy him. Now, we serve a merciful God. He won't destroy us for being, I don't know, little spirit piggies where we just take all the spirit and do nothing with it. Uh, but the Antichrist, likewise, is, will be given power, and there's an assignment that comes with it. Uh, just on a side note, did you know you've been given teaching and instruction in the doctrines of Christ not to go do your own weird thing? Did you know that? You've been trained up in the things of God to be a blessing to the body of Christ and to help the kingdom and to win the lost. And there's no sense. What if the man that discovered polio vaccine, what if he kept it to himself? Well, what if when they discover a cure for AIDS, they keep it to themselves? What if when they discover a cure for cancer, they keep it to themselves? And they just boast themselves. I know all things. No, you don't. Look at you. Staying by yourself in your basement. We as Christians don't have a right to keep to ourselves. We're called in one body. Just like, let's say, Mr. Gary here, if he's a hand in the body, if he kept to himself, we might as well just cut him off and go let him dry up. And that's exactly what happens to many Christians. They cut themselves off from the body and then they dry up. And from their dried up state, they try to judge the rest of the body. And I just don't agree. Look at how different they are. We're the ones with lifeblood still flowing through us. Yes, you're different. But it's because you've cut yourself off from the life source. Yeah, you look different. It's because you're decaying. And a decayed hand doesn't have anything on a living body. We may have to go on without you, so be it. But the Bible says even those uncomely parts, even if a body's halt or maim, it'll still enter into the life of God and much abundant glory will be bestowed upon it. We don't cut ourselves off from the body. That's the work of Satan in your life. Him slowly pulling you away. He is still called the lion, the adversary. And if you've ever watched any National Geographic or Discovery, you see the lion always pulls the weak one away from the herd. So if you're being pulled away from the herd, what does it say about you? If in the natural biology realm, it's the lion that pulls the weak ones away, you're being pulled away, that might just say you're the weak one. But you boast yourselves knowledgeable and powerful. And I'm trying to teach on Antichrist. <laughs> but also help my church. Amen. Let's look at his assignment. Because you as a Christian have one, which is to be a good little Christian, a good little sheep, and stay with the flock. Instead of cutting yourself off and letting the lion chew on you. Wonder why your life isn't going anywhere fast. This Antichrist will not be empowered for his own pleasure or purpose. He will be in agreement with Satan for a given cause and assignment. One verse can sign, sum up this entire assignment. Revelation 13, 7. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, this does not say he will succeed. It says it was given unto him to do this. 
It's like I could give unto Eddie a vacuum that he might vacuum the sanctuary. That doesn't say he did it. It was I gave unto Steve-O the power to mix great sound for the service. It doesn't mean it gets done. We were given a church van that we might pick up children for Sunday school and VBS, but it doesn't mean it gets done. And that's what this verse is saying. A lot of folks have taught it that this is what he will do and he will attempt it. But we know from the Bible, he does not kill every saint. And we know from the Bible, he does not rule every nation, every tongue, every kindred, because if he did, they would default their salvation and there'd be nobody left to enter into the millennial reign. This is just simply his assignment. These are his marching orders. This is his mission, but it doesn't say in this verse he fulfills it. All right, do you, do you follow? I right, just, just want to clarify that because we, we're all still terrified he's going to run the whole earth. Have you ever flown and seen how many billions of people are on the planet? Even the communists could not snuff out Christianity in China. There's too many people. This is his assignment. It is not his success story. Just because you are given an assignment does not mean you will accomplish it. He does not succeed at what he is given to do. We know that. We know the end. He does not fully reign. He only begins to try. He overcomes some saints, but not all. He beheads lots. We, let's not misunderstand that. As, as Mr. Darrell points out, and I like it, uh, can you tell me a religion right now that beheads its enemies? Islam. So maybe that plays into it in the end. The Bible doesn't tell us, but, but in heaven, under this mercy seat, are the saints of the martyrs that were beheaded. He does overcome some saints, but not all. He rules over some kindreds, some tongues, and some nations, but not all. This assignment is the same thing Satan has attempted since the garden. He has never succeeded and he never will. So we take great confidence in that. And let me just stop to encourage you. We won't be here for this. So that ought to make you smile. We won't be here for this, but it will happen. Look at Daniel there. Daniel first saw the Antichrist in action in a vision about five or six hundred years before John saw all this. His vision confirms what John saw uh, concerning the Antichrist assignment. Daniel 8, 24 says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper, and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So Daniel saw the same thing. He will take over mighty people, which are nations and leaders. And he will attack and destroy many holy people. Now some folks always like to believe in a mid-tribulation rapture that the church will live through half of this. But as Dr. Barclays pointed out, and I agree, we can't even get you to come to church on a regular basis, Eddie. <laughs> Do you think you can endure the Antichrist forcing you? you don't, right now, you have nobody telling you you can't come to church and you don't come to church. In that day, the Antichrist says, you, don't, you go to church, I'm going to kill you. Oh, hey, you don't have to tell me twice. I think it behooves Jesus to get his church out of here because he may lose a lot more if he leaves them. Because right now with the power of the Holy Ghost and the scriptures and freedom, most American Christians are weak, narcissistic, selfish, fluffy, fat, and lazy in the spirit. And they come to one service a week and they think they're doing God a favor. You couldn't handle the tribulation. You can't even handle the grace age. <laughs> what will happen when Antichrist is in power? 
Better pray for a special anointing I don't find in the Bible. You better pray for a new outpouring of Pentecost that I don't see in the Bible because with the power of Pentecost and the Holy Ghost, some Christians still choose not to do anything with it. Scary. I think he is going to have to vacuum suck a lot of his Christians off the planet because they just, they can't barely make it right now. With all the liberty, power, and freedom we've been given, you can't even get some to come to church on a regular basis. So when you make up an excuse why you can skip Sunday night or Wednesday night or Friday night prayer, you won't need any excuses when the Antichrist is here. You'll just be in agreement with the government. And for once in your life, you'll want to submit to law. Think about that. Right now we have decent laws in the land. People don't want to submit to them. But when the Antichrist comes, it will show how chicken and sissy so many human beings are. They won't submit to decent law now, but when the Antichrist comes with his law, oh yes, my master, I will obey. Wow, scary. Lord, I want to go on the first bus load out. I want to go in the rapture. Here I am, Lord, you just speak to me. I'll obey in the little things. I'll obey in the big things. You talk to me, I'll go. Amen. I'm trying to teach on Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a destroyer and will prosper at it for a season. He will destroy both powerful people, such as political opponents, and the saints alike. There will be a great martyrdom of saints. Daniel 11 says, uh, it appears he will be satanically empowered to wage war. This is a very interesting passage right here. Uh, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. That's the Hebrew, actually Aramaic, for munitions. That's the God he's going to worship. Apparently there is a God of war. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds, which in the Aramaic means uh, fortresses of munitions. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God. So apparently he's got some kind of military bunker worshiping a false God down there. It's probably Lucifer. <laughs> that would be my bet. Whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. So right there, Lucifer, Satan, or the Antichrist is worshiping Lucifer, worshiping a strange God in these bunkers of munitions. All translations translate it the God of war, the God of warcraft, the God of all this stuff. Battle, combat. This further testifies to his source of power being demonic in origin. I would like to pause at this point and tell you, if there's this much satanic power available to a pervert, how much Holy Ghost power is there available to us? Power to get the victory over sin. Power to get the victory over vain imaginations. Power to get the victory over depression. Power to get the victory over hurt. Power to get the victory over laziness. If, if this man can worship a devil and receive the power of the God of war and munitions, can we not serve Jesus Christ with our whole heart and get the power to get over the mully grubs or the grumpy groucho Marxism? or selfishness, or laziness, or gluttony, or pornography, or tithe-stealing? Sure. All you have to do, though, is yield like the Antichrist will. We just yield to our spirit like the Antichrist is going to yield to his spirit. Right now, though, and I'm really probably going to preach it next service, there's such a spirit of mediocrity because it's easy. And we really got to step up as Christians to press in like never before. And let the church be what it's intended to be, this glorious entity of power and might and dominion and gospel preaching machines. Amen.
trying to cheer you up a little bit there. I'm not saying you're not going in the rapture. I'm saying you really need to because you won't make it in the trib. Amen. You get your feelings hurt now? Well, pastor told me I was lazy. Antichrist will tell you you're damned. Yeah. His opposition. Let's move on because I'm not getting much of a response. And you know how I am. I've got this weak ego and I need a lot of self-encouragement. And <laughs> His opposition. Here's something we don't hear much about. The Antichrist will have opposition from day one. We'll prove it to you. Modern theology has taught us a doom and gloom scenario concerning the Antichrist. To be fair, he will kill many Christians and condemn many to eternal damnation. I might add, I think he's doing that right now. He is martyring many Christians around the world. And we're, I'm thankful that the worst thing I have to deal with is a grumpy sheep and maybe some politician here in town or a high electric bill. I, I, I learned not to bellyache because I'm not being martyred or my children being martyred in China or Indonesia or burned alive by Muslims in Nigeria. He's already doing this and he's already condemning some Christians to eternal damnation. I believe that you can not lose your salvation, but forfeit it and give it up because you get so goofy in your own faith. You get to a place where you say to hell with you, Jesus. And if salvation is received by faith, I think you can return it by faith, too. That's a whole other teaching. We have four CDs on it called The Sin Unto Death. So we can make the argument Satan is already killing many Christians and he's already condemning a lot of them to hell by talking them into rebellion. And you can see that in Brother Hagin's book, I Believe in Visions, where he saw a woman do that. And she was a born-again, spirit-filled Assemblies of God pastor. That's another sideline, side note. He's already doing this and he will be successful at it, but he will not rule the whole earth he will have continuous opposition and he will not succeed at his assignment. Keep in mind, he has seven years to do this and he fails. He has seven years and he fails. So let's look at political opposition. He will not be liked by everyone. Now he will be adored, don't get me wrong, but he won't be liked by everyone. From the beginning, he will have opposition. Look at Daniel 7, 24. And the ten horns out of this are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them. That another is Antichrist, the little horn. And he shall be different from the first ten horns. And he shall subdue three of them, three kings. Why do you subdue someone when you're facing opposition? These ten kings make up the last kingdom of mankind. They have yet to arise. The Antichrist will be the little horn among these ten horns. He will have opposition from three of the horns slash kings and will have to subdue, subdue them and cast down their opposition. So from the very get-go of his political reign, three of these nations or three of these kingdoms will oppose him to the point he'll have to subdue them to get what he wants. So even from the beginning, three nations, 30% of these ten kingdoms will not like him. And maybe there'll be a war. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a political coup. Maybe it'll be a voting thing in the U.N. I don't know. But from the get go, 30 percent will say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. And he'll have to overthrow them somehow. Maybe it's a political posturing or maybe it's strict warfare. But he'll, he subdues them. He forces them down. So there's one bit of opposition. Look at the 144,000 witnesses, Revelation 7, 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they, uh, there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. 
Uh, we know that they go in and they do a lot of evangelism. After this in the Revelation, there, there appears an innumerable company of saints that have come out of the tribulation. These 144,000 Jewish witnesses will evangelize throughout the whole earth during the first half of the tribulation, and they will do so right under the Antichrist's nose as he is establishing his political power. They will be able to reap a mighty harvest of souls, and the Antichrist can't stop them. I think we kind of have this image it's going to be a police state, and we, everything's going to be tracked, and our movement's going to be controlled, and there's going to be checkpoints. But how, how can that happen if 144,000 are going throughout the whole land reaping a mighty harvest. Let me just advertise our next lesson. Next week's our final lesson, and I'm going to entitle it The Four Harvests because the Revelation speaks and and the New Testament speaks of four distinct harvests of the last days. We're in the first one right now. During the tribulation, you see three more. And so we'll teach on that so you can understand evangelism will continue after we're gone, which is very encouraging. But we have to do our part very quickly. The two witnesses will also oppose him. Revelation 11:3. Now, depending on who you read after or what your Bible prophecy doctrine is, some believe uh, the two witnesses are in the first half. Others believe the two witnesses are in the last half. It doesn't matter. They're somewhere in there doing an awesome work for three and a half years. So whether it's in the first half of the tribulation or the last half of the tribulation, these two guys will wreak havoc on the earth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Antichrist can't stop them. Wait, how powerful can he be? He can't stop two little guys who preach the gospel and tear the whole world up and upset them. You can't, with all your military power and all your technology, you can't stop two guys. The Bible says they preach for two, uh, three and a half years. That, that kind of shows some opposition. A government, our government can take out anybody they want to anytime they want to. The Antichrist can't take out these two little guys until it's their appointed time. And I will give unto my two witnesses, power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These two witnesses will openly prophesy and minister for three and a half years during the Antichrist reign of power. They will be so successful and such a powerful voice of righteousness that when they are finally killed, the entire world will rejoice at their corpses and even exchange gifts to celebrate their death. If it was just some two little knuckleheads on a street corner, they get hit by a bus. Nobody thinks anything of it. The revelation says the entire world will see their bodies and rejoice and send gifts one to another. So apparently they're so powerful, the whole world knows of them. And the whole world is so hating them and so put out with them that when they finally are killed because the Lord permits them to die, that the world rejoices So they become just as popular as the Antichrist because the world knows who they are for three and a half years. So just think about it. We're just proving opposition. I just want you to see it's not, in a sense, doom and gloom. He he isn't just some all-powerful man. He has opposition, and he's not successful. What I'm trying to do is belittle Satan in your eyes. Could you let me do that? And belittle Antichrist in your eyes and say, hey, he's a defeated foe. The Bible's very clear. Uh, he stomped on his head. Jesus stomped on his head and crushed his head. He's defeated. All right, military opposition. I've got to run through this quick. This is part of my favorite part of the lesson. The Antichrist will fall out of favor with the nations rather rapidly and will face opposition from several nations in the end. Daniel 11.40 says, uh, At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle. 
And the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. These nations will move against the Antichrist militarily from the north and the south. Well, uh-oh, that's not good. Uh, 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 Israel has three borders, north, south, and east. The western border is the Mediterranean. Look at uh, Daniel 11. A giant army from the east will rise against him and move against him. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Wait, so now we've got the north again. Now we've got the east again. Revelation talks about the size of that army being, uh, I think, 2,000 million. Is that right? Or 200 million. It's 200 million. It's a big army coming from the east. And you've got trouble and opposition from the south, the king of the south rising up against him. You have him being attacked on every side but the west. But then again, the west is the Mediterranean. But that's the fleet of ships coming down. This is the Antichrist. In seven years, he's gone from being the awesomest thing ever to now every nation surrounding him is waging war against him. Doesn't sound like he's going to do a very good job at anything. It appears the Antichrist will face opposition from the north, the east, and the south. There is no mention of western opposition, but since his headquarters will be Jerusalem at this time, the only thing to the west is the Mediterranean Sea. These armies are not only the Antichrist enemies, but the Bible is very clear they are also the enemies of God. These are the heathen nations. They will join themselves together against the Antichrist, only to join forces with him against the coming Christ. Now, there's something weird that happens there because they move against Antichrist. But by the time they get to Jerusalem, the Bible is also clear they join forces with him because as one uh, Bible prophecy expert believes, they will hear the preaching of the two witnesses and realize Jesus is on his way with an army of his own. And what the Bible seems to teach is that those, all those armies will join forces in the valley of Megiddo to fight the coming Christ with his army. Let's keep reading here so you can see it from the word. They will join themselves together against the Antichrist only to join forces with him against the coming Christ. But this joining together is the work of the Lord. Look here at this, this verse. This is uh, Joel. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. This is re- reference to the battle of Armageddon. Prepare war. Make, wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Uh, Thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is also the valley of Jezreel, which is also the valley of Megiddo. It's all the same thing. For the Lord says, For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, or the wine vat. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now that's a very famous passage of scripture. That is a biblical prophecy of the battle of Armageddon. All the way back in Joel's day. And I want you to see it is the Lord that causes all the nations to come together to fight against the Antichrist in the valley of Megiddo. The word Armageddon is from the Hebrew Armageddon, Arma, which means the valley of Megiddo. 
uh, which is Megiddo. And so that's where we get the Battle of Armageddon. Ooh, the Battle of Armageddon. No, that just means the Valley of Megiddo, which is where the Lord will stomp his enemies to a bloody pulp. This is where it says that the, the, the valley, which is over 200 square miles, will be five foot deep in blood. The battle will last one hour and the Lord will decimate his enemies. Uh, the, the Bible calls it the wine press of his wrath. Why? He's going to stomp them <laughs> and the juice will come out. God knows that it's gross, but that's what it's talking about. The wine press of his wrath, the valley of Megiddo. Uh, historians tell us more wars have been fought in that valley than any other place on the planet. That's where the final battle will be fought. These great heathen armies will gather themselves in the valley of Jehoshaphat, also known as the valley of Megiddo. By the command of God, they will rise, excuse me, they will gather there to destroy the Antichrist, only to join forces with him against the risen Christ. Revelation 19, 19 says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. They will unknowingly have assembled in what the Bible calls the great winepress of the wrath of God. They will have had more than ample opportunity to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And in the end, when they don't, they will be destroyed and sent to hell. We, we, right now is a dispensation of grace and mercy. And we tell people Jesus loves them, get saved. But if you don't, you got to go to hell. There's only two options here. There's no mediocre option. There he will tread them down in destruction until blood fills the valley five feet deep. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And so to conclude, the Antichrist survives the battle only to be taken alive and cast into eternal damnation. Thus ends the seven-year attempted reign of the Antichrist. There's a bunch more scriptures there you can study that all talk about the Valley of Megiddo and the Battle of Armageddon and the, and the Battle of Jehoshaphat or uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. What you need to see is that the Lord himself will draw these nations against the Antichrist. But when they get there, they'll say, hey, the witnesses are telling us Jesus is coming with an army. There's another army coming. Yeah, apparently over here. Let's get ready. And the Lord just destroys them with a sword that comes out of his mouth and crushes them. And that ends the seven-year reign of the Antichrist, Daniel's 70th week, and that begins the millennial reign. We won't go into that next week. We will conclude with the four harvests of the end days. We already covered one of them in here that you probably didn't pick up on. But Jesus said, send the angels to thrust in the sickle, for the harvest of the wicked is full. And the harvest, the sheaves, are cast in the valley of Megiddo. The angels are what draw these armies here. And this is another harvest, but it's a harvest of the damned and the doomed. I'm going on the first harvest. <laughs> Amen. So hopefully you learned something. That's a lot to cover. I appreciate you coming out. We love you guys and we'll be ready for service in a few minutes.